0: Hi, I'm Chinny.
1: And I'm Astrid, and welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that widens access to African history. We're also the co-authors of a book by the same name. You can find out more information about us on itsacontinent.com.
0: We're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country by appreciating the identity of each nation. Through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent.
1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of It's a Continent Podcast. Hello, hello. And we now also go by the name of It's a Continent Podcast, Independent Podcast Awards shortlisted in the history category. Indeed, indeed,
0: yes. Recognize the independent podcast out there.
1: Yes. So we've been waiting for this. All my life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) (laughs)
1: we're in a very musical bag today <laughs> indeed which is good because it actually runs with the theme of my african pride this week look yes. at the
0: linking. Okay. oh look at that it's like Yo. we already knew oh, <laughs> no we didn't
1: actually <laughs> yeah. but before I get into it, no, it is actually amazing to be shortlisted. Um yes. it's yeah, very exciting. There We've been doing something. this for coming up to four years now. So it's longer than my degree. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> amazing to have the opportunity and we're very much looking forward to celebrating on the thirtieth of October. Yes. Yeah. Let's so let's go. Let's do this. Right. Episode. The thing that we're actually here to do. Right, my African pride this week goes to the talented Nigerian musician, Rema. His track, Calm Down, which has been playing literally Non-stop. all summer, it's <laughs> been forever, uh, won Best Afrobeat Song at the 2023 MTV Video Music Award. And the song also achieved a remarkable feat by becoming the first song by an African artist to join Spotify's Billions Club, which... For those of you who are not on Spotify um, or don't listen to this playlist, which I do massively, it's an exclusive recognition reserved for songs with over a billion streams. So what a huge thing. Also, because I follow this list, he earned a spot on Barack Obama's Summer Playlist in 2019 and 2022. For those who know me, I follow Barack Obama's <laughs> Summer Look, Playlist. I'm sorry,
0: I don't really believe that Barack Obama listens to these songs. I do. <laughs> Honestly, I always use this to be like, to get my like- Is he listening to Jay Hurst?
1: He's, he's <laughs> listening to them. Do not ruin- <laughs> No, I'm sure he does. What I've created in my <laughs> mind. Okay, so I, t- I go there, for to get his summer playlist and also his book recommendation, his reading list. Is good. No, his reading reading list. Is good. I'll give him so, that. Oh, so you believe <laughs> the reading list, and Joe <laughs> believes. I'm anyway, sorry, we're I'm having <laughs> words after this. Let's see. Wow, yeah. I was very excited about that. That he made both lists, <laughs> and yes, he is among the top ten most streamed Afrobeats artists on Spotify. So congratulations, congratulations. And
0: yeah, Afrobeat is doing a madness right now.
1: To be honest, oh, it's doing incredible. Stadium
0: kind of arenas. It's no, it's having
1: a great time it's out there it's out there right this week we are headed to mozambique to explore the life and legacy of the country's first post-independence president samora michelle samora's story is one that deserves recognition alongside other renowned freedom fighters we've covered think julius nyerere from tanzania patrice lumumba from the drc thomas sankara from burkina faso I've just realised we've actually not done a Patrice Lumumba episode. We have not. I feel like we talk about, we him, talk about <laughs> him a lot. We talk about him a lot, but we've never actually covered him. We're now making a note. We will cover Patrice we Mumber. We will. We will. Next we season. A- Next season. Yeah. Before we delve into some more Michelle's journey, let's take a moment to understand the sociopolitical situation that Mozambique found itself in during this time. During its colonial era, Mozambique was under Portuguese rule. Portugal ventured into Mozambique during the 16th century, and the country experienced deep segregation. European areas enjoyed self-government privileges, while Mozambicans faced significant restrictions on their basic rights. Portugal's financial limitations led to the exploitation of the African population, specifically when it came to forced labour. To boost profitability in the colony, the Portuguese leased out African labour to countries like South Africa.
0: Samora Michel was born in 1933 and his early life was deeply affected by a web of legal and societal constraints. The Portuguese were focused on civilizing Africans and of course that meant the Portuguese enjoying freedoms in stark contrast to the severe restrictions imposed upon Mozambicans. These limitations touched nearly every aspect of life, including access to certain schools, hospitals and residential areas, and the quality of what was available to Mozambicans paled in comparison to the
1: privileges afforded to the
0: Portuguese. It's almost like apartheid, actually, I would say.
1: Yeah. And also, when you look at where Mozambique is sort of placed on the map, mm. and the time period we're looking at as well, you know, you had like South Africa there. So there were, yeah, it was very, very similar. Portugal, very similar.
0: Nevertheless, within this oppressive framework, a small minority of educated Africans who embraced Portuguese cultures and could read, write, and speak Portuguese, were given a different status by the state, and these were known as assimilados, meaning assimilated. This granted them certain freedoms denied to their fellow Mozambicans. For example, their children were permitted to attend European schools. Assimilados accounted for less than one-tenth of the one percent of the country's population. Very, very small numbers. Very
1: small. And actually, this status of assimilados was replicated in other kind of Portuguese colonies and within Africa mm-hmm. um, as well, which we cover in the book.
0: We cover in the book because it's <laughs> very similar to Amilcar Cabal and his situation when he was growing up as well. In his early years, Samora displayed remarkable assertiveness and a strong willingness to voice his opinions. Among his peers, he was known as a bit of a rebel, competitive and prone to argue if things weren't going in the right direction. And when it came to his family, his father would undertake arduous journeys to the South African mines, exposing himself to dangerous conditions, including the constant risk of rock slides and industrial accidents. Tragically, Samora's eldest brother passed away in a mining accident. In the absence of her husband, his mother managed the household and also farmed to support the family. However, they received unfairly low prices for their produce because colonial administrators favoured European producers, making it difficult to make ends meet this economic bias added to the family's challenges. So you can see just even from his early life, the intervention of the Portuguese really affected him and limited what he could do in, in his family and what they could do.
1: Yeah, and it definitely likely encouraged and sort of pushed him in the di- direction of become, and fighting sort of yes. um, Portuguese kind of colonial role and stuff. I think it definitely, you know, experiencing that early childhood, it definitely would have pushed you to be like, OK, I'm going to make a change and make a difference. Absolutely. After completing his early studies, Samora made the choice to pursue a career in nursing in 1954, which unfortunately, like many other opportunities for Africans at the time, was tainted by the same racism that prevailed throughout the country. It was during his nursing days that he took his first steps into the world of politics. He protested against the unfair practice of paying black nurses less than their white colleagues for performing identical tasks. He also arranged... Um, secretive gatherings for fellow nurses where he distributed materials promoting Mozambique's independence. According to those around him at the time, Samora looked at people as equal and treated them accordingly. On racial matters, anyone who thought that he or she was racially superior to him got a rude awakening. Samora confronted anyone who was disrespectful or treated him without dignity.
0: And this is all quite brave at the time as well, considering we're in this assimilado period. I'm sure there would have been or could have been repercussions had he sort of spoken up against mistreatment.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. However, his increasing vocal presence and visibility didn't go unnoticed, catching the attention of the Portuguese police. As pressure mounted, Samora made the decision to leave Mozambique, travelling to Tanzania to join the Liberation Front of Mozambique, FELIMO. This was an organisation dedicated to freeing Mozambique from colonial rule and it was formed in 1962. Something that I want to add around this bit, so at the point where Samora leaves, takes the decision to leave and go to Tanzania, he actually had started a family as well, so it was a huge decision. And there... He received military training and steadily worked his way up the ranks, taking charge of military training operations. And in 1966, he was appointed Frelimo's defence secretary. Four years later, he was elected president of the organisation. Frelimo was dealing with its own internal challenges, with clashes on numerous topics from who exactly was their adversary to what vision did they hold for Mozambique after colonial rule ended which we actually find with a lot of these kind of organisations that are fighting for independence, they understand they want to be free, but actually what does that look like? How, so how, yeah. yeah, how? And it's kind of a key component. Frelimo also recognised the importance of involving women in various aspects of the struggle. So in 1966, the Mozambican Women's League was established and their role included transporting supplies, gathering intelligence on Portuguese military activities, and even carrying out minor acts of sabotage. The role of women in Frelimo further grew when they formed the Women's Detachment, a female unit involved in military campaigns. And I think this is something, and we'll talk about this later in terms of um, Samora, is he really believed in gender equality and really bringing women in, which I'm all for. So that was very clear with sort of bringing in and creating Mozambican Women's League and um, the women's detachment as well.
0: Despite its internal challenges, Frelimo waged a decade-long battle against the Portuguese colonial authorities, amassing a force numbering several thousand fighters. By the mid-1960s, the Portuguese had deployed around 70,000 troops in Mozambique to stop the insurgency, but they were largely unsuccessful in doing so. On September seventh, 1974, in Lusaka, Zambia, It marked a pivotal moment for Mozambique's path to independence. The Lusaka Accord was signed, and this was an agreement between Frelimo and the Portuguese government, with the Portuguese government officially acknowledging Mozambique's right to independence. It laid out the terms for the transfer of power, and this event marked the end of the decade-long guerrilla war fought between the two parties. Ultimately, Mozambique celebrated its independence on June 25, 1975, ending almost 400 years of being under portuguese control thanks to frelimo as well as a military coup in lisbon as a result samora Michel assumed office as mozambique's first president
1: 400 years 400 years yeah and i think there is a point here obviously frelimo were underground in mozambique and kind of fighting uh the portuguese but also there was a lot going on in portugal itself so Within Lisbon, and there was, you know, a military coup there. The Carnation yeah,
0: Revolution. Yes, that
1: then pushed. I would think of
0: milk, but I'm like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it does actually. Yeah. So, with that, both of those things combined, what really drove and kind of pushed uh Mozambique towards independence.
0: Definitely. And it is worth noting as well: 1975, by this point, a lot of African
1: yeah. countries
0: were independent.
1: So, they were quite a say, bit late. And I do think the freedom fighters that were around, you know, the 1960s and really supporting countries like Nigeria and get, getting the independence, I think definitely inspired the likes of Samora Michelle in terms of being like, okay, hey, we really need to drive it forward. Because Frelimo only actually started in, was it, 1962. Mm. So
0: by that point, you've already, you know, the, the, the whole year of independence that we saw. Yeah. yeah, Under Samora's presidency, the country became a one party Marxist-Leninist state. Mozambique, like other newly African nations, faced numerous challenges. Zamora had a vision of destroying all vestiges of colonialism and imperialism. And the challenges they faced included widespread illiteracy, with 95% of the 12 million population unable to read.
1: And one thing to add to that, when I was doing research on this is the Portuguese really made a point not Mm. to educate Mozambicans. They would literally get students to redo school years mm-hmm. and again and again and basically failed them but it was a lie because they'd actually passed mm. to then really just undermine the community yeah. so he had a lot of a lot of work on his hands
0: definitely and the poverty ethnic divisions and regional disparities were other pressing issues that he faced at the time and samora had a goal to establish a government that could effectively tackle these issues but meanwhile Mozambique faced significant threats from neighbouring Rhodesia, modern-day Zimbabwe, and South Africa. These neighbouring white-ruled regimes saw independent black African states as a threat to their apartheid authority. They aimed to undermine Frelimo because every move Mozambique made towards independence, and later on its post-independence actions, challenged apartheid authority.
1: And to add to that, you know, Rhodesia really supported the Portuguese. So they would, you know, send them troops to kind of make sure that Mozambique would stay under Portuguese control. Because Mm. as you said, 1960s, we had the year of Africa, winds of change. Mm. It was all about finding tactics and which way to stop that really carrying on. And so bringing troops in was a way in which they, um,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's in in their best interest, isn't it? Yeah. uh, How dare a black African state nearby? Because. All the black Africans that are in these uh, oppressive regimes would probably be looking to Mozambique thinking, wow, it's possible, possible. I'd love to have this for us. And, you know, that would inspire them and they don't want them to be inspired.
1: Definitely not. Samora actively promoted and supported social changes in education, health, housing and gender equality. An example of this in education is with the support of Fidel Castro, They made sure that thousands of Mozambicans received training as doctors, engineers, and scientists. When it came to health, he took a significant step by declaring medicine a fundamental citizen's right rather than a profit driven endeavor marred by racial bias. He also initiated a highly effective vaccination campaign against diseases like measles, smallpox, and tetanus, which reached an impressive 90% of the population. This initiative was so successful that the World Health Organization hailed it as one of the most accomplished campaigns in Africa. When it came to gender equality, Samora strongly believed in empowering girls and women through education. He openly criticised parents who kept their daughters at home, having them work in their family's fields and prepare for marriage. This practice, in his view, left girls ignorant, dependent and deprived the nation of a skilled workforce. In the initial years after independence, life improved for most Mozambicans. However, Samora's impatience sometimes led him to underestimate the complexities on the ground. And I think to add to that, he had such a big vision. Obviously, you want to create stability and get doctors in and have everyone educated. But the country didn't have the people Mm. to really be able to do that. Without the education, right? Without the education. When you have 90% of people unable to read and write, like there's a lot of, establishing the foundation sort of that whole idea of like walk before you can run yeah. and i think he had this big idea in terms of what it could look like but actually the country just was very much in its infancy yeah um having to build a country is just do you know tough. what i mean how do <laughs> yeah. where is That's and i know we talked about it, but like where is the handbook for that yes there's definitely one there's the colonizer, to, one. <laughs> there's <a> colonizer <laughs> one but where is the one where we, like yeah. how do I create a nation um But the challenge of nation building was complex, as we said, they tried to forge a new nation among diverse communities, religions and ethnic groups. And Samora himself recognised this and um, in a speech he gave, he stated that the truth is that we fully understand what we do not want. Oppression, exploitation, humiliation. But as to what we want and how to get it, our ideas are necessarily still vague. They are born out of practice, corrected by practice. We undoubtedly will run into setbacks, but it is from these setbacks that we will learn. Literally it's a got to learn on the job. Yeah. But like learning on the job where you literally have like people depending on you for like just in your life. Hands. And yeah. yeah, that is I can't even begin to imagine the intensity of that. And this is also against the backdrop of obviously the country's independent and there were um, Portuguese people kind of living in Mozambique at the time, but they all left. So between 1974 to 1976, numbers dropped from 250,000 to 20,000. And so Mozambique lost a lot of skilled, trained people like engineers and accountants and mechanics and doctors. And also, these people did like a lot of those who had left did not leave things in like a good you know they mm. vandalized goods and machinery. no handover yeah there was no no handover document just vandalizing you <laughs> <Just vandalizing. laughs> start a new job Imagine like, they you... just like ripped up that. oh my gosh <laughs> your computer is smashed <laughs> yeah and where'd you start You <laughs> just there like right so he then had to deal with the fact that there was no one to then hand over mm. to Mozambicans so right so you're going to just be put into work on this machinery or own this company but you don't even know mm-hmm. how to do that so it's it makes
0: you look bad as well because then the portuguese were like well we, we left them but look look how bad it's going now because yeah. we're no longer there you know and I, I i do feel this is deliberate we see a pattern as well because i think france did this in guinea as well with their vandalizing goods and machinery and then leaving it's almost like punishment
1: yeah punishment for you wanting your freedom <laughs> is <laughs> now not only are you far behind but you're even further behind because you don't actually understand like, we've not taught the, no you, one, yeah. no one's kind of passing this on to you, so it's tough.
0: And whilst Frelimo pursued a socialist vision for Mozambique, a significant part of the population felt left behind. A black civil servant at the time expressed concerns, saying, Michelle doesn't seem to care if the standard of living falls here. And in 1976, dissatisfied Frelimo members with support from Rhodesia formed RENAMO, the Mozambican National Resistance, a guerrilla organisation that sought to overthrow Samora's government. Between 1977 to 1992, Mozambique was plunged into a civil war, fought between Frelimo and Renamo. Renamo opposed Mozambique's Marxist-leaning government and fought to destabilise them by targeting key infrastructures, including schools, healthcare facilities and transportation.
1: So the very, like, infrastructures we, we that they're build. trying to yeah. build, like yeah. the basic foundations.
0: Yep, yeah. we fall back right into it again. And during their attacks, they would carry out large-scale massacre of civilians. And by the late 1980s, the war resulted in over 100,000 deaths and over 1 million refugees. This was all happening at a time when Mozambique was still fragile following independence. And the extensive damage from the war led to food shortages, famine, and Mozambique's economy was essentially grounded to a halt. The civil war was eventually brought to an end in 1992, following the signing of a peace agreement. By Samora's eighth year in office, a sense of exhaustion and disillusionment had taken hold amongst many Mozambicans as they saw things deteriorate from the civil war to widespread food shortages. To address these challenges, Samora initiated meeting with Western investors. Alarm bells ringing there. (laughs) Western (laughs) investors, you're like, oh no. Oh no, (laughs) right. (laughs) Explore potential joint economic ventures.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm not sure all those ventures were looking 50 50, not gonna lie.
0: Definitely not, but it also shows a sign of desperation at this point, I
1: mm-hmm. think. Yeah, because this whole idea of then going to Western countries for support was very much against Samora because he was very much focused on self reliance and rejecting foreign support, but very much he's at that point where
0: there's nothing else, there's nothing else, Being backed right? into a corner.
1: Yeah, so yeah. you've got to go and got to go and suck up ask, to the west now you? ask for help nothing else you can do yeah. hey
0: imf hey hey
1: <laughs> on october 19th 1986 president Michel was returning from a summit in zambia when his jet crashed into the mountains in south africa near the mozambican border tragically samora and the majority of those on board lost their lives the circumstances of his death Are marred with suspicion, with some suspecting foul play, especially as the apartheid regime in South Africa saw Samora as a risk to their regime. Following his death, Mozambique's next president, Joaquin Chisano, led the country from 1986 to 2005. Chisano departed from the socialist agenda like most of them do, um, Mm. embracing neoliberalism and capitalism as the new path forward. Samora Michel's legacy is rich and far reaching. He is primarily remembered as a revolutionary leader who played a vital role in Mozambique's journey to independence from Portuguese colonial rule. His leadership symbolised the end of centuries of colonial domination and heralded a new era for Mozambique. Samoa's tireless efforts to socialism, equality, education and women's rights and pan-African unity defined his legacy despite the challenges he faced.
0: Another sad story about a leader that passed away under suspicious conditions
1: yeah and he didn't get to see the country really find its feet and mm. truly deliver on his vision but um i think it's very important still for us to cover definitely these, these leaders as well because they brought in a lot and i think you know even who knew that they were recognized by the world health organization for yeah. the campaign that they had in health like I think all of those elements are still really important to be able to recognize which is why we do this podcast so indeed yes yeah. thank you for listening and joining us this week you can find us on x formerly known as twitter <laughs> <You're> getting comfortable <laughs> saying that I don't know. it doesn't sound natural but carry on <laughs> people say black
0: x now because black twitter is redundant <laughs> but you will find us on that platform um at its continent on instagram at its continent pod and our website itsacontinent.com
1: Thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you. Bye. You Bye.